Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriana Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education. Those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in a new world environment. These are their stories. What's it like to be in a school that's working on the journey of continuous learning right now? What's it like to be in a school that takes seriously the desire to personalise learning for every student? What's it like to be responding to the challenges of the world we face right now with good humour as all of the challenges and opportunities are being thrown at and to and for teachers and students and communities? We're so lucky to be joined by one of our clients, Nikki Kirkup from the Knox School. She brings to us a wealth of important lessons from her colleagues at her school. I can't wait. Let's go. It's great to be with you again, Phil. I hope you're well there in, in um, sunny Fitzroy and enjoying your almond lattes that you uh, devour out there in Hipsterville. And thank Nikki, you. Thank you. I, 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 I had some avocado toast as well today, Adrian. Did you really? Wow. Did you, did you mix it up with some Vegemite? I did indeed, of course. Of course you did. Well, Nikki, just ignore us. We, we often get started off on this type of event, but Nikki, it's, it's great to have you here with us today. Uh, I'm really excited, as Phil rightfully pointed out there, to learn a little bit more around what is happening there at Knox and to learn a little bit more about you. And we'll start off with, with a simple question around you personally. Tell us your own story. What has got you to where you are today? All right, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, good to know, Phil, that you're caffeinated, so this should go pretty well. <laughs> so, yeah, look, my story, I guess, is a little different to uh, a lot of educators, uh, I guess, in, in Melbourne at this point. Um, I do come from originally the north of England, and unlike, I suppose, many uh, educational leaders, it wasn't always my, my dream to end up in educational leadership, I'll be honest with you. Um, at heart, I'm a people person. Um, I used to be quite an introvert, but I was always really drawn to strong communities. And I think that along the way, uh, when I became an educator, I realized that I had a passion for the role, but I also realized that I had a passion for, for looking at things in a slightly different way and being able to look at systems and processes and actually say, why are we doing it this way? And what are we getting out of this? And more importantly, what's the student getting out of this? Which was a question that wasn't always asked in the North of England at the time when I started teaching over 20 years ago. So my journey was that um, was an English teacher. Uh, very quickly, I uh, was taken through some uh, uh, quite quick paced uh, roles in terms of being promoted quite quickly into different areas, worked in a number of different schools. And just before I left the UK, um, I actually had the uh, opportunity to work as a, an education consultant, and that was actually for local government in an area which had um, real issues with socioeconomic problems, um, really sort of high levels of deprivation, and education wasn't really um, a priority for families in this area. And so I had a role which um, at the time was incredibly challenging, and that was to work across 15 different schools in a local authority 
um, looking at how do, you, how do you improve the literacy for boys in particular who are completely disengaged and more importantly, so are their families, third and fourth generation unemployment. And I was in that role for two years and I learned so much about the, the craft of education, but also what it takes to be a great leader in these spaces as well. And so following my time there, um, I decided to take the leap and went into international education, worked in an international school in Switzerland uh, as a head of English, uh, putting into practice a lot of what I'd learned in the role as a consultant um, and led that team for over eight years in Switzerland, had an amazing life there. But at the point where I just felt that there was something inside of me that felt that I just needed to do something uh, maybe a little bit more courageous. And that's when uh, I met Catherine Misson. And that's when I went to Melbourne Girls Grammar uh, and took up the role of director of middle school in Melbourne Girls Grammar. Um, and as many of the listeners would know, we did some amazing things at Melbourne Girls Grammar. Um, and in 2017, launched the uh, Senior Years Programme, which I then took up leadership of. And three years later, um, had another amazing opportunity to work with Alan Shaw at the Knox School as his deputy, which brings me to where I am today. Well, what an exciting journey and, and a really rich and diverse kind of lived experience. Can you tell us a little bit about that, that time in England when you were working across that kind of federation of schools that you mentioned? What was the greatest learning that you gained from that particular experience? There were two different things there. So if I think about um, the learning that I had about myself, uh, and then I'll talk about the learning in terms of education, because it was really quite a journey for me personally too. The one thing that I learned was um, that although I really, really enjoyed the challenge and seeing different contexts, although they were geographically quite close together, the different communities worked in very different ways. And they all had different values, different aspirations and different challenges. And whilst I really enjoyed working that through with the team, what I realized quite quickly was that I miss being part of a tight-knit community. And what I mean by that was when you work in a school and you know the students, you know the parents, the families, um, and you know your colleagues really well, you have your tribe around you. And when you're working across 15, 16 different campus areas, different communities, Although you can make an impact in some ways, you can never really be a part of the fabric of that community. And I think that's when I realized that for me, the game changer was always going to be building relationships in the community. So that was a personal learning for me, which has really sort of then sort of earmarked what I did for the rest of my career so far. But I think in terms of what to learn about education, well, a lot of it, again, very similar. It comes down to, I believe, and maybe rightly or wrongly, that you can pretty much achieve anything if you have the strength of community and if you share those values and visions and if you can build that together. And so a lot of what I did in those particular communities was to look at what are their challenges, what are their issues? And you really have to get to know that. You can't make your judgments. You can't go in there and think, well, they have third generation unemployment. They don't value education because that's just not true. That's superficial judgment. So you have to grow and live with them and you actually have to get into their shoes and say, okay, well, what motivates you? What are your passions and how can I make your learning purposeful, which is what I did. And you can imagine that to be the person who does that, you have to have some pretty thick skin because you are going in there as an outsider. You have to understand that you're going to get comeback from people who make judgments on you too and wear that. And you've got to prove yourself. So you've got to go in there, roll up your sleeves and say, I'm going to walk the walk with you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. And that's the teachers too. Often uh, for some teachers who've worked in these schools for 
20, 30 years sometimes, and they're downtrodden by, in the UK, things like Ofsted, inspections, people making judgments on them, telling them to you know, do better, work harder with their students, and they just can't. They needed something different. They needed a different approach. And so the fun of that role was really uh, being able to work with those teams and to be able to say, okay, let's just push content to a side for a moment. How can we engage these students? And so to do that, we worked with a number of organizations, including uh, Middlesbrough Football Club, um, and really worked with some of their, you know, their star players saying, how can we engage these boys in literacy? Because they love soccer, but they don't love reading. And so how can we bring these two things together? So um, they were two of the most, possibly the most challenging years of my career, but also golden what I learned, because not many people can have that experience, I suppose, of the breadth of what I saw. Okay, so then let's, let's now migrate to Australia. And uh, now you're at, 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 you find yourself at the Knox School. And you just mentioned there the importance of connectedness and community. And we're going to explore that a little bit in, in a moment. But I'm particularly interested in, in knowing a little bit more about the Knox School because I had the, the great privilege of visiting the school a number of times. And, and my particular personal encounter with that learning community was one that was very personal, where everyone was known there was a there was a connectedness with everyone from the principal down to to the gardener uh, that was unique and, and really uh, exciting to witness. And you know we speak about this notion of a village. You know it takes a village to to raise the children. And what what I witnessed in this in this really uh, dynamic learning community was exactly that. Uh, everyone coming together and understanding their responsibility there. So. I want to talk a little bit about how the Knox School encourages each student to find their own niche. So tell us a little bit about the role of, say, personalised learning in that context and how you kind of attend to the individual needs of all those different young people. Yeah, I mean, there's so much there, Adriana, that we can unpack. And, uh, you know, I'm sort of one term into my time at the Knox School. And in many ways, the situation in which we find ourselves at the moment uh, is, is interesting for me in that, you know, it's really accelerated a lot of what I, you know, I'm going to do there. And by that, then I can tell you that coming into the community as a, a new DP, you can imagine doing that anywhere. Um, there's always going to be, like I said in my, in my other roles, there's going to be judgments made about who you are and where you've come from and what that means. And so I think for me, it was very clear to me that I went to the Knox School because I felt that it was a very strong community, which, you know, yourself, I know Phil has seen that as well uh, on, on his visits. The moment that you walk in the door, you can see that there's a really clear understanding of identity there, who they are. And this is interesting because the school is not 140 years old. Um, it's less than 40 years old. And it's got that sort of benefit, um, as Alan, the principal, would say, of not having too much history that it strangles you, but enough that it gives you those enduring fundamental elements which makes you who you are. So I think that the first thing that I noticed was that um, the students really lived out the values. And I know that people say that whenever they walk into a school and they want to impress, but they genuinely do in terms of the fact that this is a community which is ELC through to VCE. It's on one campus. So it means that day to day, a year 12 student is walking through the gates with an ELC student. And it's small enough being, you know, at around the 700 mark that everybody genuinely does know everybody in some shape or form. 
And so the fact that you, um, you have the ability to connect with all of these different people means that you really have a lot of opportunity to, to make those connections and to make those values real. So the way in which uh, I think we can do that at Knox is that from the very first moment you walk in the door, you're met by the principal on gate duty or myself as DP on gate duty. We personally greet the parents every morning and the students. We strike up those dialogues with the students. When I first arrived at the school, what I actually wanted to do was to spend as much time as possible in every aspect of the school so I could actually understand what the challenges were, what the issues for the students were, the parents. And so I set up lots of forums, I visited classrooms, spent some time reading with the junior school uh, students, set them all challenges so they had to tell me something uh, interesting and engaging about themselves so I could, as a visual learner, I could remember who they were. And little things like that were, were things that really mean that now, as I walk through the school, I can pick out the child who said to me, Miss Kirkup, do you know that gorillas burp when they're happy, not when they're being rude? And yeah. it's little things like that, that I think that that's how I did it. But looking at the other members of staff on a day-to-day -day basis, they do similar things too. They have those personal connections to the children. So a lot of the way that that's done is, I mean, very clearly through the shared value system, um, people really understand what it is to, to be a part of the Knox community. We Do you want to maybe share with our listeners um, what those six values are? Key values of resilience, care and empathy, respect, responsibility and achievement. And I think looking at the way that the, the students uh, understand those day-to-day -day, uh, ideas is that if you actually sort of talk to them about what matters to them, the first thing that came out to me was that idea of care and empathy and noticing that the students themselves come up with ideas for how to collaborate with each other. So ways in which the ELC can collaborate with the attends, for example, and lots of different uh, ideas that the students have come up with just to make sure that they've got those connections across the school. And I think that the campus makes sure that we can do that because of the access across uh, the, the different areas in that even the physical location of the building is set around a quadrangle so that the ELC is off to one side, you've got the middle school building to another, the senior school aspect just to the right of that. So when you walk through the campus, you've got that very open feel. There's no boundaries between each areas and there's no no-go areas between each areas too. The other aspect is that you've got teachers who teach across all areas of the campus. So you've got specialists who teach from the younger years right down the junior school up to year 12 BCE. And so you've got that through knowledge of uh, the, the community and families who've been with us for a long time will often know a teacher who's taught multiple siblings at the same time. So I think that in many ways you've got um, you've got the values of vision that ties everybody together, but the day-to-day -day practice, which is led by um, the principal, which has been led by the leadership team in general, that people are out and about, they're rolling up their sleeves, they're talking to the community, and it's an open door policy. The community are on campus, the community are sharing learning experiences, parents of the junior school uh, attending assemblies uh, each Friday. And so you've really got that feeling that it's not a walls of institution, it's a learning village, it's a learning community. Um, one of the things that I noticed, we uh, recently had a parent engagement evening, which was around wellbeing, and the, the feature was resilience. We were looking at how do we increase our resilience and encourage resilience in our learners. And we um, hosted a parent engagement session, and it was the first one I'd held in Knox School. And I've done these things in other schools, and it's very often you get very low turnout of parents to these events um, for various reasons, largely to do with time and logistics. 
And that evening we had the biggest thunderstorm. We had floods everywhere in one turn of south. And we had an auditorium full of parents and they were committed. They were listening to the presentation, asking questions, sitting alongside teachers. And the beautiful moment for me was towards the end of the presentation. I was actually at the back of the auditorium and I took a picture because as I was listening to the speaker, you had children sat with their parents and they literally had their arms around each other. And at one point the presenter stood up and said, do you want to just group hug it out? And the whole auditorium stood up and were hugging between each other. And so I think that there's a warmth in the community that you don't always see in other areas. I think that's one of the key points. So Nikki, just look, looking at all of this, we've got a community, which is the ecosystem. We've got a process, which is the personalization of learning. And we've got a set of values towards which you're driving. And there's a particular character and, and competencies associated with that. What I'm wondering is in these circumstances, what does good learning look like? If you're driving a community through personalized pathways, towards a set of values which are about creating a particular type of person what does good learning look like so look i think for me um and i think it's well known that i i think this way uh good learning is it's it's holistic it always has to be it has to be meshed between the well-being and the the academic and it's not a binary view it's not either or we have to be really careful that we're thinking holistically as learners ourselves so one of the polls for me towards the Knox School was that idea that they don't just talk about the why we do things. They've got a very clear narrative around that. They've got a very clear understanding of why we have this purpose. But the way in which they articulate that is through the four pillars of the vision, which they call provoke, position, connect and shape. And so in order to create the how, how do we do these things? All learning in the Knox School, whether it's an ELC or VCE, has to be through these four pillars. So when we are working with teachers, we're saying uh, to them, think about the learner and think about the learning that they will do. How are you going to provoke their learning? How are you going to make it challenging? How are you going to position it, making it purposeful and meaningful to them? How are you going to connect the learning, making it relational and interactive? Uh, in that environment, whichever environment we find ourselves in, and how are you going to shape that learning to facilitate it? And so I think with those four pillars in mind, what we've seen, uh, and certainly what I've now realised over the last couple of years in the Knox School, is you've got lots of different pockets of expertise and lots of different uh, areas where uh, teachers feel the freedom to trial some quite innovative things. Um, and to have that sort of ability to know that it's okay to trial this because you've got the strength of the community with you it's a fail-safe environment in a sense okay so this is business as usual and you've come after this really interesting career in lots of different places doing lots of different things and you've just started the role and you're learning all of this stuff about business as usual and then covid comes along tell us what it's been like over the last four to six weeks um, we're recording this in the middle of April right now, but it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to go out to our listeners somewhere towards the end of May, middle of June, maybe. But what, what, what I'm really interested in is you painting a picture of what it's like on the ground or, or in the remote classroom or, or learning space or whatever it is, what's it been like for your school to adjust from business as usual to whatever it is right now? 
Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying not to use the word new normal because <laughs> I don't want to, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's a bit overused right now, isn't it? I think so. Uh, I think that's all right. Also similar to the word pivot, which just seems to be in every uh, in every conversation you have right now. We're all pivoting. Look, I think that we, we have to acknowledge uh, the, you know, the absolute tragedy that we see around the world. And so I think what I'm going to go on to say, I preface it with that to say that I have, you know, so much fear for communities all over the world uh, for obviously the health reasons, the emotional cost of what's happening around the world. Um, and we're very cognizant of that in our community as we, you know, we've almost watched it from afar for a little while. And in fact, bizarrely, uh, the very first presentation that I did at the Knox School on day one uh, was really about uh, <laughs> COVID-19 and what it meant to us back in January, you know, at the start of term. And so back then, it was very much a fact-finding uh, event of saying, well, this is what we know in uh, other areas around the world. Um, this is what we, we've learned from other places which are currently experiencing these things. Um, and I've got, I, I suppose, through my, my life before Australia, a lot of connections in international schools whereby they've been plunged into this quite early on, including some colleagues in China. Um, and so I made sure that very early on, I was really uh, working with my networks to understand the experience uh, for them, uh, you know, months ago now. So in the NUC school, it was interesting to watch because there was a lot of different reactions. And I think this is probably everybody's story that there was fear, what does it mean for us? And that was on a personal level and a professional level. Um, and it was almost like watching this tsunami coming towards them. Um, and I think that we then took on the role, uh, as many school leaders have, uh, in so many different ways to calm those waters, to give them the facts and to talk about our strategies. Um, and also then to, in the background, start well preparing, what's this gonna look like? And what do we do here? And very quickly, um, and this is why I prefaced it before by acknowledging, you know, how traumatic the whole thing is on an emotional level. Um, very quickly, we realized that this was an opportunity and an opportunity that um, we could really use to harness the amazing practice which had been happening in pockets all over the school. Because what I'd realized quite quickly was there was a great level of expertise and innovation, but it was happening in lots of different segments. And what I was trying to do originally, I suppose, was to pull those segments together into the narrative, into the framework, and to progress it forward into the next stages. And in reality, what's happened uh, in the last couple of weeks is that that has really fast forwarded what we were planning to do and has given us that leverage to, to move uh, to the next level of uh, continuous learning, which is what we've called it. So what we did to start with was had clarity as a leadership team as to what we wanted to achieve and had clarity that uh, this was the next extension of the vision. This is what it would look like. And so we very quickly refer to it as continuous learning, TKS Home Campus. There it is, fantastic. All right, I want to drill down into four very specific things. You might want to write this down as we go. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, the four very specific things that we're seeing everywhere at the moment. I'm really interested in, in what's happening at your school in relation to these particular things. First of all, how are people looking after themselves? That's to do with wellness. How are people structuring their time and space? How are you as a community managing expectations about what continuous learning looks like? And how are you holding relationship in the community together? So how do you look after yourself? How do you look after time and space? How do you manage expectations about learning? How do you hold relationship and community 
together. Okay. If I start by saying relationship and community was number one when we pulled this together. Um, and that's been at the forefront of our minds as we've been developing all the different iterations of this model. And I'll sort of interweave that as we go through uh, the various aspects that I'm going to talk about. So if we look at well-being, how are we managing ourselves? Again, I think that what we were very aware of was that there was a bit of a spectrum of experience with the staff that we were working with in that some were really excited and eager. So this is an opportunity. Some were terrified and really went into free fall quite quickly. So you were managing a lot of different, uh, I suppose, experiences for these uh, teachers, these professionals. Um, and on top of that, the family's well-being, the students' well-being as well. So from the very start, we took a community approach. Uh, we were very uh, communicative in many different ways. Um, and we were very clear and factual. We avoided delving into the emotion and really inflating that emotion around it because we felt social media was doing a great job of that itself. And what we did was just to focus on what are the facts of what we're dealing with and what can we do? And we were continuously framing it as an opportunity to move forward. We surveyed the community quite quickly to understand what their fears and what their needs were. And we also then worked with the teachers to say, what structures do we have in place currently that will allow us to transition quite smoothly um, with the least anxiety, I suppose? What can we harness that works for you? So I guess very quickly for us, what was quite clear was that we knew from the research uh, that we'd done uh, and also what we know about learning in general, that it's not a good idea to just flip your timetable online, uh, which I think was the mindset that many of our teachers came at it from. That was their expectation of what would happen. And we were very clear with the teachers uh, from the outset that this was not our intention. And what we did was to take feedback from them about what their fears were so that we could really build that into the, the model of time and space. We were quite clear about what our resources were and we were quite clear about how we wanted to deploy those resources. But we were also clear that we wanted to be creative in the use of those resources as well, that we didn't just want to, to use something in the same way. So what we did was to move to uh, what I would say was some of our pockets of amazing practice in the school and to use those teachers almost as champions uh, within that space. Because what we were really clear about was we didn't want to have this as a top-down approach because we knew that the teaching staff would feel no sense of empowerment at all. And so we really wanted to drive this through the spheres of influence that we have in the school. So we have groups of project managers in the school who look at uh, areas such as pedagogy, growth and development, character, uh, data, and we were very clear that we wanted to use these project managers to help us influence the direction. And so from the very start, the expectations were managed because we framed this model within the TKS vision. And so it was very clear that the four pillars that we identified in our strategy for personalized learning were exactly what this model would be built around. And for us, I suppose the only thing that had really changed was the methodology, the physical space. And so it was a case of being very clear with the staff that these are our structures, these are our frameworks. But more than that, that this will not be our structure and framework indefinitely because we need to be flexible and we need to be responsive because this is an evolving situation. And so there was an expectation from us that there was a level of trust, which I believe that that was very strong in the leadership uh, and the staff felt very well engaged by, I suppose, the direction we were moving in. 
um, and that the research base was there, that we were being really clear what we were looking at, what we were reading, what we were engaging in. And we were sharing that reading with the staff as well. Um, the surveys that we took from the staff were then clearly embedded in the framework that we delivered as our, our starting point. Um, and the fact that I suppose they felt their voice within it allowed us to move forward quite quickly with that. So I suppose then in the end, um, the relationships remain quite strong, in fact, stronger than ever. And what was fantastic to see was that on the, uh, the last day of term one, when we knew that our model was in place, ready to roll in term two, we probably had, um, I think, the, the best end of term party, I think, that staff had had because they just felt that sense of we're in this together. It's a sense of community. And more than anything else, they were pretty resilient. So <laughs> I think that they too lived out those school values. What I, what I love that I'm hearing today here, Nikki, is that the Knox School leadership team are a group of individuals that not only have the trust of the community, but are brave enough to move away from what's safe and comfortable. And that you've had rich conversations with your community in partnership with them about the possibility of what could be different. And of course, you've leveraged up from the fact that you are a bespoke school, uh, K to 12, so you have very different stages of learning and different needs of students across that particular journey. But the most significant thing that I'm hearing you share with, with us today is that your team and your school community is very conscious of the truth of the world that we are currently living in. And not only because of coronavirus, but what the needs are for young people to thrive in this kind of new world. And that you're, you're demonstrating everything that's required of kind of 22nd century uh, school leaders agility, adaptability, uh, and courage. And so I applaud you guys for doing that. I love this notion that you were, that you checked in to the kind of pulse of the community. Is the intention of Knox School going forward, particularly during this time of, of great uncertainty and, and, and rapid difference, and we know that can be uh, challenging for many or create tension, is the intention to continue to kind of survey the students and staff to kind of gauge the, the, the well-being pulse of the community? Oh, absolutely. Because I think that things are changing uh, so, so rapidly in the world around us. But on top of that, I think that as you, as you move into a new model, um, we at Melbourne Girls Grammar, we used to call this restlessness. It was a term coined by Catherine that she you know, instilled amongst us to say, you've got to move with the flex and the flow. You've got to be able to be restless in this environment because that's the world in which we live in. And in so many ways, I think COVID-19 has just brought a context to us that we've all been talking about almost hypothetically in education for so long that now we're living that with our students. So what we did already was we surveyed towards the end of last term because we piloted the first iteration of the online model. Uh, we took into account everything that was said uh, at the end of term one and over uh, the term two break, the, uh, the executive leadership team basically worked through that break to bring those parts together uh, to build, I suppose, iteration two, which was a framework we rolled in in term two. Um, and on day one, which was yesterday for us, we didn't have a staff day. We uh, said to the staff and the students that uh, this would be a model which was in place for about two to three weeks because the researcher told us that um, 
you know, by about week five uh, of any remote learning, continuous learning model, uh, people hit the wall in terms of anxiety, the novelty's worn off. And so for us, what was very clear was that this was an iterative process. We were going to adapt to the needs uh, as we saw them. And we don't know what this is going to look like in week six. So what we have in place at the moment to answer your previous question was uh, every At the end of every week, we have uh, a set of survey questions which are going to the various stakeholders and to check in on the temperature to make sure that we're still hitting those learning needs quite, quite accurately. W what's going wrong? What could we do better? Um, and in so doing, we'll make sure that uh, we're not resting on our laurels, that we're moving with the, 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 the flux and the flow, I suppose. So, yeah, it's going to be integral, Adriano, to what we do. So much of what you're sharing with our listeners today is simply around mixing things up and really understanding that the classroom of tomorrow or the schools of tomorrow or learning of tomorrow is fundamentally about this kind of organic ecosystem, that there isn't this kind of standardised approach to, to learning anymore. It's no longer a one size fits all. It's kind of a bit of a, more of a fit to purpose uh, and, and what could be working one month might not be working the next month or what might work in one year might not be working in another year. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about how you are mixing up this continuous learning model for the different stages of learning that happen there at Knox? And what I'm talking about there is what does it look like for the K to four students? What does it look like for the, for the, the, the student in year five to eight? And then, of course, what does it look like for the senior students? Because the, the needs across that whole spectrum are so different. Yeah, and, and this is the thing, and I think that it will continue to change as we move through the model, because what we were clear on uh, at, at the start was that there'd be different models needed uh, across the different developmental ages, but there also needed to be some fundamental consistencies as well. And one of the things that we got back from our parents quite quickly, which is something that, I don't know, maybe we'd overlooked in the first uh, iteration, was if you were at home, and you have children in multiple levels, and you're trying to manage that as a parent, you need things like the, you know, the rest breaks and your lunch breaks to actually align because you can't have, you know, one at lunch while another's on a history class. And so we were very clear about what are going to be those, those checkpoints, what are the things that have to have consistency across all of the models. So one of those things was uh, physical breaks, rest breaks, um, and the other thing which was a non-negotiable for us, and this was all the way through, was a daily check-in, uh, which was a wellbeing check-in. And what we're using that for across all of those levels is to, number one, have a face-to-face -face so you actually can see the students because that's the thing that's going to be missing for us and we all acknowledge that. Um, and to have a different challenge per day uh, to make sure that the students are engaging with us and uh, keeping that connection, that sense of belonging. So there's been a series of challenges which have gone from uh, ELC all the way through to year 12. One example would be the uh, cross-country challenge, which we were supposed to have cross-country coming up tomorrow. And so essentially each of the students has been set uh, a different milestone that they have to run, film themselves doing it and upload it. We've created a huge big uh, canvas of that. Um, and again, that's including families so that you get that community buy-in as well and get the students out into the fresh air. The other fundamental is you've got to embrace the home environment as part of your learning experience. So avoiding that death by PowerPoint, death by worksheet, it's really about what can you use in the home and bring that into the learning. And whether that be ELC with students, uh, you know, doing some creative learning uh, alongside their parents, 
or in the you know the the older years people doing actual science experiments in their kitchen you know using kitchen equipment we've tried really hard to make sure that you are acknowledging the different environment and don't just ignore it pretend it's the same because it's not so actually embrace those opportunities as opposed to seeing it as an obstacle so in terms of the differences and the, there are many other things which will continue to be uh points of uh, similarity, but the differences were, were things that we had noticed around learners' motivation and engagement. And so our younger learners have more frequent face-to-face check-ins with their classroom teacher. And again, that would be the norm because they spend more of the day with that one person. So it was really important that we kept that face-to-face continuity. For our older learners, um, the first thing that I think a lot of our teachers wanted to do was almost full synchronous lessons. And we'd been quite clear from the beginning that we were concerned about that from a well-being perspective, but also from an equity perspective. Not everybody can be online for that period of time each day. And so we built in um, a variety of asynchronous and synchronous at different year levels and been really quite cognizant of the learning needs when we've been setting those frameworks. Um, and checking in with the learners, um, even this morning, uh, we ran a quick Padlet with the learners to say, what was your experience of day one, term two? And a lot of them were saying, there's just so much work. And so we, we know that they're, they're not as productive uh, time-wise often, you know, when they're in the home environment. So we've had to then build that into the different year levels as well to say, well, how much asynchronous time, how much synchronous time do we need? Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's been a case of always coming back to what do we know about learners? What do we know about what it means at different developmental ages? But also what are those uh, enduring fundamental aspects which you need to retain to retain that sense of community because without, we'll all just be adrift and it will be really hard to retain that sense of community. Nikki, um, Jeff Southworth, a number of years ago, had the opportunity to do an analysis of successful leadership in, in UK schools. Um, uh, and in it, he came up with a set of character traits and he came up with a, a set of things that successful leaders do in schools. I want to pick up on one tray and I want to pick up on one ca- characteristic of, their, of uh, one aspect of, of their work. Jeff talks about the need for optimism. He says there's no room for cynicism. You have to be optimistic. The second thing that he talks about is the need to be constantly redesigning the organisation. I love the notion that, well, we've got a model, but we know that evidence and research tells us that five weeks in, it's not going to work anymore. So we're going to have to change the model. I mean, that's, that's not what schools do. Schools build a model and 170 years later, they're still doing it at that time because that's the way it's always been done here, dot, dot, dot. How do you keep people optimistic and how do you keep people in a frame of mind where they will collaborate with redesigning the organization because the the tendency in many schools is to become pessimistic, gloomy and rooted to the spot. (laughs) Yeah, look, and I think that um, being optimistic is it's got to be a genuine part of your personality as well. And I think that that's something which, you know, when people try and I don't know, become put it into their personality and it's just not there. You see through it quite quickly. And I think that you don't take staff with you if you're pretending. So I think it's always been really uh, clear to me that um, I've got to be genuine and authentic when I'm leading on a project. And if I don't believe in it, I find that really hard. So everything that we've done in the last uh, couple of weeks, months at the Knox School, um, we've had that sense of optimism from the start. And we've always, always uh, had as part of our narrative that this is an opportunity 
to further develop uh, the vision of the Knox School. And we've been really clear in that narrative, uh, we, you know, unrelenting in some cases, I suppose. And so when we've had people who are feeling somewhat less optimistic, and obviously there are going to be people in that space, it's been a sense of, well, what's their motivation behind that? What are the issues? What are the challenges for them? And very often it can be, you know, personal things which are outside of the school environment or challenges to their professional knowledge, that kind of thing. So how do you mitigate against that really? So an example that we used, which will lead into that second part about redesigning, um, yesterday, we were very conscious that uh, we had uh, a lot of people who, when we went through our first iteration at the end of term one, there was a lot of optimism because people could see they had a two week break coming up. And so it felt a little bit like, well, that's okay, we can do this for a week because then we'll have a break and we'll reset. When you're looking down the barrel of an 11 week term in a new model that perhaps some people didn't feel so confident about, we were very conscious we had to do something quite quickly to, to maintain that optimism. So yesterday we organized uh, a webinar, um, an interactive webinar with our learning and teaching committee. And we also invited uh, some other teachers who've been working in a blended learning model uh, prior to the outbreak of COVID um, to engage in basically a learning design. And what we did very quickly in that was to be very clear, what are we trying to achieve? And for us, it was we're trying to uh, create a learning environment which will deliver you know, uh, quality education better than what we can do in the classroom. That's what we were saying to them. We want to elevate now what we do. It's not just a, um, a stopgap to keep us paddling above water. This is how are we going to improve our practice and do so for the long term, so for the future. And to start that session, we obviously went through the pillars and the values and, and grounded that vision. But on top of that, we did a pre-mortem and we said, what are the things that are going to go wrong by week five? What are the things that we're going to be tearing our hair out over and really saying, we just can't do this anymore? And we just laid them out on the table. And there were the obvious you know, challenges to do with student engagement, time, delivery of resources, uh, just maintaining that sense of optimism, really, in these circumstances. And straight away, we said, OK, so how can we mitigate against those risks? And as a committee, there were 28 of us on the call last night. And as a committee, what we managed to do was to turn those challenges, if you like, into opportunities for solutions for moving forward, which in a sense then laid the groundwork for what we're creating now, which is the pedagogy for the TKS Home Campus model um, for the future. So we're really trying to, I suppose, empower those uh, influencers, leaders in, in our um, school to help in that co-design, that collaboration around what this pedagogy will look like. And so I feel like the redesign will maintain that optimism because we're constantly coming back to, it's a challenge, but how do we harness it? And I think if you lead in that way, um, sure, you'll have people who are going to falter along the way. That's human nature. But you do maintain that sense of optimism. Um, and that's pretty exciting. What's exciting for me here, listening to everything that you are sharing about the community that is the Knox School, but also that is your leadership, is this commitment to leading through the pandemic, not managing the crisis. And I think there's a distinct difference. And it would be very easy, and this is no judgment to anyone that is just simply managing the crisis, because we are living in an unimaginable and unprecedented time, as we keep hearing. And so it's only natural that many, many people, particularly leaders, default to, okay, how can we just help people get through? But the truth of the matter is what I'm hearing you hear, say today is that this is our new reality. This is the reality of our time. 
and that we have to accept that our responsibility to young people is to educate them around the challenge of change, the power of adaptability, and irrespective of the circumstances that are going to be presented to them, whether it's today because it's corona or in 10 years' time it might be a personal challenge, they are able to kind of uh, refuse to accept that challenge and thrive and move forward. I, I love the fact that under your leadership and that of Alan's and the entire team, the strength of this really effective, dynamic learning environment is the power of community, the power of purpose, and the empowerment of the individual. And so, Nikki, it's been a real privilege to be sitting here today and listening to you share not only your story, but that of the Knox School. I'm really excited and, and inspired that there are learning communities right now and individuals like you and learning communities like the Knox that are leading the way about what's possible in learning. And it's amazing what can be born, what innovation and creativity can be born out of such adversity that we find ourselves in. So Nikki, I just want to say thank you very much for being on the Game Changers. And no doubt our, our listeners are going to get so much out of this experience. Bill. Yes, thanks very much, Nikki. It's been an absolute privilege sharing this time with you, Nikki. I think it's really important to understand that changing the game of education is a thing that you do every day. It's not just something that sits up there on the shelf and you bring it down and do it on a strategic planning day. It's in the, it's in the many different uh, relationships and interactions and it's, it's in the warp and weft of everyday life that we see genuine effective change being done. Congratulations to you and what your team are doing. You're doing a, a sterling job. We know that this is the sort of thing that's happening in many, many schools all around the world right now. It's been a, just a, a, a joy to share in your optimism and your enthusiasm and to give encouragement to our colleagues around the world that, uh, that they're not alone. Thanks for the time, guys. It's been awesome to, to talk it through and just to share our story because it's uh, pretty exciting times and we do remain optimistic, that's for sure. Thank you very much, Nikki. Thanks, Thanks Nikki. The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you're hearing.